Kavanaugh, will you stand with us? This morning we want to surrender everything that we have to him and ask God to just do whatever he wants to do. song guys thank you you can be seated for a little bit good morning welcome to Kavanaugh Church how we doing who's fired up to be here all right that's what I'm talking about well we're so glad you're here for you guys that are actually in person welcome welcome and for y'all that are tuning in online uh, we're so glad you joined us as well to our guests man we're so glad you're here we want to meet you after service so please stop by our connect counter we'll tell you more about that but but we are glad you're here as well. Guys, I've been so excited about and have enjoyed so much the spiritual journey that we've been on for the past several weeks. You know, praying together at 1.30, our prayer vigil over the weekend. Uh, it's so cool when God's people come together to do God's work. You know, and, and we need to realize we're, we're an army for the Lord. We're working together as a family of believers, as a body of believers, to do kingdom work. For God to work through us. That's exciting. 
Are y'all excited about it? I'm excited. I'm pumped. Well, listen, today we're going to worship our Savior. That's why we're here. We're going to pour our praise upon God. So are you ready to do that? All right. If you are, stand to your feet. And we're going to pray. And then we want you to keep singing, keep praising the Lord. God, we love you. It's a privilege to be in your house today. Thank you for salvation. Lord, thank you for the gift of eternal life. Lord, today as we continue singing, uh, let us lift our voices as an act of worship to you, Lord. And as Brother Will preaches, Lord, would you speak into our hearts with your Holy Spirit and move and change lives as only you can. We love you, Lord, and we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Let's sing to a God who does great things.
verses 20 and 21 say, Now all glory to God, who is able through his mighty power at work within us to accomplish infinitely more than we could even ask or think. Glory to him in the church and in Christ Jesus through all generations forever and forever. Uh, The praise team recently did a Bible study, and one of the key things that we learned is that God loves to show up and to show off. And so that's our prayer this morning, that he will just do what he is famous for. Sing with us. Nothing, nothing can compare to you. That's right. 
We are in awe of you today, Lord. We give you all the glory. We give you all the praise yes. for what happens in this place today and also in the future of Kavanaugh Church. We praise you and ask that you just continue just to do what you're famous for. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you, praise team. Great job. They always do a great job, don't they? Give them a big hand, would you? Appreciate them and their ministry. Uh, music always sounds fantastic, but Wednesday night, uh, we took a little field trip after I shared a message and went into the new worship center to have a uh, prayer of uh, praise and dedication. And before we did that, we sang in the new building, the first congregational singing over there, and it was awesome, man. I mean, if you think it sounds good in here, just wait. It's going to blow your socks off over there. It is absolutely fantastic. I want to thank you for praying all this week and praying as a family what you would do on Commitment Sunday. I want to thank our prayer vigil team, those who came up to the church and for 24 straight hours prayed. Thank you for doing that. That was great. And I know God is going to bless because of that. Today we're going to talk about Commitment. There were two men marooned on a deserted island, uh, and they had totally different reactions to their being marooned on this island. One guy was just pacing back and forth on the shore, worried. He was scared to death. He was afraid that no one was going to find them, and they were going to die on this marooned island. The other guy, he was kind of leaned up against a palm tree, sunning and drinking coconut juice out of a coconut, man without a care in the world. And the guy pacing back and forth said, dude, what, what's up? Why, why are you so relaxed? Aren't you afraid that we're going to die here because nobody's going to find us? And the guy leaned up against the tree and said, no, I'm not worried about that at all. You see, I just made a $150,000 commitment to my church's building program, <laughs> and my pastor's going to find me. <laughs> so... Yeah, I don't know about that. Whether you make a $150,000 commitment to our campaign or a $50 commitment, I want you to know all of you are important in what God is doing at Kavanaugh Church. And your commitment and your prayer and your giving matters. So today we're going to talk about that commitment part. A couple of weeks ago we talked about our attitude towards giving and God. Last week we talked about all the blessings that God has given to us. And today we're going to talk about commitment. I'm going to do that through a story told in Mark's Gospel, chapter 10. But before we get to the actual story, let's read what Jesus was doing because it plays a part in the story that we'll read. Here's what it says, Mark chapter 10. Then they brought little children to Jesus that he might touch them and bless them. But when his disciples saw that, they rebuked those who brought them. But when Jesus saw it, he was greatly displeased and said to them, let the little children come to me and do not forbid them, for such is the kingdom of God. Amen? Assuredly, I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God as a little child will by no means enter it. And he took them up in his arms, he laid his hands on these little babies, and he blessed them. And then we're going to get into the story, but let me just pause right here. And, and, and tell you what Jesus is actually saying. He is saying that if you want to be a follower of him, if you want to be a, a disciple of God, it is going to take you becoming a little child. That is, you depending completely on him. You've got to do away with your own independence, thinking that you can run your own life the way you want to. No, Jesus said, you need to become like a little baby. Now, who is a little baby dependent upon for everything? Their parents. Jesus is saying, if you want to be my follower, you need to be just as dependent upon me as a little baby is on their mom and dad for everything. Are we good? All right. Now, as he was going out on the road, so he just blessed the little babies, he's walking down the road, somebody came running up to him, knelt before him, and asked him, good teacher... What shall I do that I may inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good but one that is God. 
You know the commandments. Do not commit adultery. Do not murder. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Do not defraud. Honor your father and your mother. How many is that? Six. How many, how many were there? How many commandments? Ten. So he gave him six of the big ten. And he answered and said to Jesus, Teacher, all these things I have kept from my youth. Then Jesus, looking at him, loved him. And said to him, One thing you lack, go your way, sell whatever you have, and give it to the poor. And then you'll have treasure in heaven. Then come, take up your cross, and follow me. But he was sad at this word, and he went away sorrowful, because he had great possessions. Then Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, How hard is it for those who have riches to enter the kingdom of God? And the disciples were astonished that Jesus would say this. But Jesus answered again and said to them, Children, how hard is it for those who trust in riches to enter the kingdom of God? It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. And they were greatly astonished, saying among themselves, Who then can be saved? But Jesus looked at them and said, With men it is impossible, but not with God. For with God all things are possible. Amen. That's awesome. Then Peter began to say to him, See, Lord, we've left all just to follow you. So Jesus answered and said, Assuredly, I say to you, there is no one who has left house or brothers or sisters or father or mother or wife or children or lands for my sake and the gospels who shall not receive a hundredfold. Now in this time, houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and children and lands with persecutions and in the age to come, eternal life. But many who are first will be last, and the last are going to be first. Heavenly Father, thank you for this awesome passage. I pray that as I speak it on the outside, you would speak it into our hearts. Lord, help us to be able to commit to you everything, our hearts and all the stuff we have. In Jesus' name, amen. So who we're going to look at today is this young man who we call the rich young ruler. The Bible tells us several things about him, so let's get to know him this morning. Are you ready? Come on. Yeah. It seems like between the music and now my preaching, we've lost a little excitement in here, all right? So let's get excited again. Are you ready to learn about this rich young ruler? Right? So we learn a few things about him, like number one, he was rich, all right? He was wealthy. Did you know that wealth brings options? Yes, it does. He had the ability to choose. He would wake up in the morning and he would decide, okay, what am I going to do today? Because I'm rich, I can do just about anything I want to. I can go where I want to go. I can wear whatever robe or piece of clothing I want to wear. I can go out and choose the horse that I'm going to ride today. Wealth brings options. And so the issue today for us is not, do we have possessions? Because you have them. I looked out in the parking lot before I came in here to preach, right? So the issue is not, do we have possessions? We all have possessions. The issue is, do possessions have us? Some of us here today are like the fly stuck on the flypaper. Do y'all remember flypaper? Yeah. The fly that said, I, I like it so much here, I think I'll stick around. <laughs> the fly was not holding on to the paper. The flypaper was holding on to the fly. The major problem for this rich young ruler was not that he had possessions, but that possessions had a stronghold on his life. And don't forget that because we're going to come back to it. Possessions had him. The second thing we learn about this guy is that he was a ruler. How do I know that? Because Luke tells us that in his version of this story. This story is told in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. And Luke tells us that he was a ruler. He was a person of influence. He had people under his authority. He was a, a, a man of great power, 
Others came before him, and they would bow in his presence. He was honored, and he was revered. He was a ruler, a person of influence. Number three, he was a young man who had great moral character. I'll put it like this. He was a nice guy. In verse number 20, it tells us that, that he was a, uh, a young man who had kept all the commandments, he said, for his entire life. So he was an outstanding citizen. He was a nice guy. He was a good neighbor. He was an all-Israelite. Okay? Instead of an all-American, he was an all-Israelite. He, he had good moral character. And then number four, he was young. Time was on his side, <laughs> on his side. You with me? Matthew chapter 19 verse 20 tells us that, that he was a young man. So his future was bright. So are you with me? Here's what we learn about this young guy. He was rich. He had wealth. That brought options. Number two, he was a ruler. He was a man of influence. Number three, he was a man of good moral character. He was a nice guy. And then number four, he was young. He had time on his side. But the Bible tells us more about him than just those facts. It, it digs a little deeper. It, it tells us about his personality. Would you like to know his personality? I think Jesus kind of gave him a personality test. Let's see how he did. Number one, he had courage. How do I know that? Because here is a rich young ruler who came to Jesus in broad daylight with a legitimate religious question that he wanted answered. Now, the significance is that all other rulers in his day were conspiring against Jesus. And if they indeed asked Jesus a question, it was simply to trick Jesus. This rich young ruler came and asked a real question, and he even came in broad daylight, unlike Nicodemus, who came at night. That took courage. Number two, he was pretty spontaneous. Where do we get that? Verse 17, he ran. He ran to catch Jesus. Remember, Jesus had just blessed these babies, and he was walking away. This rich young ruler saw him, and so he went running to Jesus to catch up with him. You say, big deal. Well, it was a big deal. Why? Because rulers, no matter how old or young they were in Jesus' day, never ran. If you ran, you would lose face. People would run to rulers, but rulers never ran anywhere. So here, throwing caution to the wind and cutting across the grain of his own culture, he ran to Jesus. He was spontaneous. Number three, he was pretty humble. We get that from, from verse number 17. It tells us he knelt before Jesus. Honestly, I believe he wanted an answer to his question so bad that he lost focus of who he was and what he was supposed to be. Did I tell you earlier that because he was a ruler, people would bow before him? Rulers never bowed before anybody. People would bow before him. But here he is, he is, he is kneeling before Jesus. He's kneeling before the, the good teacher. So he was humbled. And then number four, he was open. He asked a legitimate question to Jesus in verse 17. What must I do to inherit eternal life? That's a genuine question. He was being real, open, transparent. And that day, rulers had all the answers, but not this young guy. He just had one big question that he wanted answered. Now, wouldn't you agree with me that this young man had a whole lot going for him? Come on, he did. Here was a rich young ruler with good morals. He was courageous, spontaneous, humble, and open. Too good to be true. All Israelite mothers would want their daughter to date this young man. He had it all going for him. Jesus looked at him, and Jesus saw all of this, but Jesus saw even more than what appeared on the outside because Jesus can see the heart. Now, every morning I come in here and I, I look at you guys. I scan around the, the audience, try to catch eye contact with you. Hey, guys. Hey, how are you all up there in the balcony? You good? I can just kind of see images up there. But I see you up there. Hey, guys. Hey, 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 everybody. And as I look across this crowd, can I tell you something? Y'all look good. 
It's not even an election year for me, Jason, but (laughs) y'all look real good. You do. You really look good. But beyond the nice clothes and the makeup and the hairspray, Jesus sees what's inside of us. I can only see the outside, but Jesus sees the inside. And Jesus looked at this young man and saw all the good stuff he had going on, but Jesus saw his heart, and Jesus spoke to that. Jesus saw his need. And what did Jesus see when he looked in this young man's heart? He saw spiritual frustration. Jesus told him in verse 21, there's one thing you lack. One thing you lack. Jesus had said, you know the commandments, keep them. The young man said, I've kept all those commandments since I was a little kid. And Jesus responded with, there's one thing you lack. Now guys, that's an interesting statement. This rich young ruler didn't come to Jesus out of a sense of guilt because he thought he was a good guy. There was something missing, though, something that he wanted to have filled in his life. It was not guilt, not conviction, but I believe it was frustration that brought him to Jesus. Isn't it frustrating in your own life when you try so hard to be good? And to do good. I mean, you're even here at church trying to do the right thing. Yet you know that deep down inside of you, there is this this darkness, this emptiness that's in your heart. It's kind of like a hole of emptiness. And no matter what you do or how hard you try, it's still empty. Isn't that frustrating? Well, I believe that's exactly what was happening to this young man. And Jesus saw that. Jesus also saw his spiritual immaturity. Jesus said to him in verse 19, you know the commandments, do them. And Jesus listed six of the big ten. And here's what he said in verse 20. I've kept all of those since I was a kid. His question, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus said, you know the commandments, keep them. Here's what he said. I'm good there. Check that off my list. I've kept those since I was a kid. When I read that, I thought to myself, really? Really? All of them? Dude, are you sure? Now, guys, he's not ignorant. He was a smart guy. But I'm telling you, he was incredibly naive. He knows all the right answers, and on the surface, he looks great. But all of them? I've kept all of them? I really believe he had a problem with the very first commandment. Jesus didn't list that one, but you remember what it is. Thou shalt have no other God before me. And from that, we get the great commandment, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. So really, the the question becomes, is God really first? Is God really first in your life? When God is not first, there is this nagging sense of frustration that consumes life. You show me a Christian who has not submitted himself or herself to the lordship of Jesus Christ and given the Lord everything, and I will show you someone who is totally frustrated with life. That's exactly where this young man found himself. Jesus looked at his heart and saw spiritual independence as well. Verse 17, he asked Jesus, well, what shall I do? You might think that's a good question, and it is, but it's the wrong question. When you're a doer, you ask that question. How many doers do we have out here? You you like to do things, to fix problems. When you're a doer, you ask this question, okay, what do I have to do to fix this problem? Give me a list of ten things, and and I'll get them done. The real question he needed to ask Jesus is, God, what do you want me to become? To many of us, we're trying to do before we become. And God says to us, stop doing. 
I want you to be. I want you to become. God says, be mine, and I will do through you. So here's the key. The Bible teaches the source of fulfillment is dependence upon God. We're totally dependent upon him. For this rich young ruler, his source of fulfillment was coming in his possessions. Because really his possessions had him. Think back to where we began in verse number 13. When Jesus said we are to become like children. Some people really don't need God. Because you think you got everything under control. And I guess when everything is going good, you seem to have things under control. But can I tell you something? Just like that, life can change. And you can lose control. Some of us have done nothing big for so long that we don't think we need God. Or miracles. For some of us, the biggest thing that we do spiritually is simply to ask God to bless our food before we eat it. And if there's one thing that God hates in our life, it's independence. When we think we can do life without him. And that's exactly what Jesus saw in this young man. And Jesus hated that. But Jesus loved him. Jesus hates our independence. Jesus hates our sin. But Jesus loves us. Do you understand that? And so in verse 21, it says that Jesus loved him. So you know what Jesus did for him? He gave him some radical therapy. Jesus didn't just pat him on the back and said, oh, you're going to be okay. Don't worry about it. Everything will work out. You're going to be just fine. No, Jesus gave him some radical therapy. He gave him a two-part treatment. First of all, he said this, go and sell everything you have. Go and sell. And then he went on to expound that, take the proceeds and give it to the poor, and then you will have treasure in heaven. So the first part of this radical therapy is you take all your stuff, sell it, and give it away. And then the second part of it is come and follow me. You get rid of all the stuff that is clinging to you, you give that away, and then you come, take up your cross and follow me. Now, why in the world would Jesus say that to this young man? Well, because he knew that this young man's possessions controlled him. And Jesus knows that you cannot serve both God and money. That's in the Bible. You can't serve God and mammon. Mammon meaning money. This rich young ruler had to get his possessions under control or he had to get rid of them. And Jesus knew that it was far beyond the point of just getting control of them. So Jesus said, get rid of them. Now guys, let me stop right here and say, there is nothing wrong with possessions. There's nothing wrong with things. They are inanimate objects. There's nothing wrong with having stuff. The issue is, does that stuff have you? Do your possessions have control of you? Now, when it comes to possessions, there's really three levels of control. I didn't put this on the screen, but let me work through these three levels of control. First of all, there's the top level. The top level is your understanding that God owns everything. Everything is the Lord's, and it belongs to him. God is the owner, and I'm the manager. So everything God has put under the, the influence or control of Miss Angie and I really doesn't belong to Angie and I. It belongs to God. And so if God says to Angie and I, I want you to give X amount back to me through the building fund, then you know what? It's not ours, so we just give it back to him. If God says to me, hey, Will, I want you to take some of the stuff I've blessed you with and, and give it to David, then you know what? In obedience to him, I just give it to David. Why? Because it's not mine. And so I don't cling to it. I just hold loosely to it. And I am the vehicle that God uses to bless others and to give back to him. That's the top level up there. You get it. You understand biblical stewardship. Here's where most of us are. We're in this middle level. I control my possessions because I go out and make it. I earn it. 
therefore I control it. It's mine. Don't touch my stuff. It's mine. And then the bottom level is our possessions control us. We're not controlling them. They're controlling us. And that is exactly where this rich young ruler was. His possessions were controlling him. And so Jesus gave this radical therapy. Just go sell it all, take up your cross, and follow me. You know what he said? His response back to Jesus? Can't do that. Sorry. No. So I want us to notice the reactions of these different groups of people. First of all, this rich young ruler, what was his reaction? He said no, and the Bible says he walked away sorrowful. He was sad. Now, here's what I'm thinking is going on, Ronnie. I'm thinking that he went to Jesus with this little question, and he really thought Jesus was going to say to him, okay, if you want eternal life, here's what you got to do. This, 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 and this. Hard stuff. Because he's a doer. And given the challenge, he could do those things, challenging things, courageous things. That's not what Jesus said. Jesus got to what really controlled him and said, I want you to give everything up to follow me. And it made him sad. <laughs> and so what, he just walked away sad. Boo-hoo, boo-hoo. He, he didn't tell me to do what I thought he was going to tell me to do. What was Jesus' reaction? He was heartbroken. Really, Jesus was heartbroken. Why? Because the Bible says Jesus loved him. Jesus saw his potential. Jesus knew what he could do. I look at you, and y'all are great people. But you know what? I see your potential. No matter how good you are, you know what? You could be greater if you just gave it all to Jesus, totally surrendered to the Lordship of Christ, totally become sold out to Him, you, you could turn your goodness into greatness. I do cowboy shooting, and I'm good. It sounds like a brag, doesn't it? Pretty good, but I'm not great. So, Cowpoke, I want to write a book. When you're good, but you want to be great. Nobody would read it. That's the problem. Angie would read it. Thank you. Thank you, babe. You and my mama. Y'all I sold two copies right there. You can be great. I was talking to a guy yesterday that, uh, man, young, energetic, smart, good-looking, talented, so much potential, raw potential. But he's wasting it because he's never given his heart to Jesus. He's not serving the Lord. And I thought as I talked to this young man, wow, how God could use this young man in his kingdom. How this young man could influence others with the good news of Jesus Christ. But he's not living up to his potential because he's not given his life to Jesus. So Jesus was sorrowful. The disciples, you know what they were? Shocked. The word in the New King James is they were astonished. It says it twice. They were double astonished. Well, then how can anybody be saved? Jesus said it's difficult for rich people to enter the kingdom of God. It's kind of like a camel going through the eye of a needle. Now, when I was a kid, I would think about that because the only needle I knew was a little sewing needle and how could a big old camel go through the eye of a needle? It was really an opening in the, the wall of the gates of their walls of Jerusalem, a small opening where a camel would have to get down on its knees and go through that way. It's very difficult, possible, but difficult. Okay? And, and this didn't compute with the disciples. Well, then, how in the world could anybody be saved if rich people can't get into heaven? Because here's what they thought. They thought in their mentality, if a person was wealthy, they were favored by God. They had an inside connection with God. And so they were blessed by God with all this stuff. And now Jesus is, is given this radical theology. It's difficult for rich people to be saved. Well, then how could anybody be saved? They were shocked. 
God said, well, with people it's impossible, but not with God. With God, all things are possible. But the most important reaction, I think, would be your reaction. How do you respond when you hear this story in Mark's gospel? If you have turned everything over to God and you've submitted to his ownership and you're living on this top level where God owns it and controls it and you're simply the manager, if that's where you are, you look at this guy and you're rooting for him. You're saying, do it. Go and sell. Follow him. Take up your cross. Because you've experienced it. And you know that you can't outgive God. And you know that if you just submit everything to the Lord, then that frustration is going to go away. There's going to be meaning to your life. And God is going to use you for great things. You know the world's line is just a lie. That you've got to have it all and control it all. You understand that when you give it away to God, then life gets good. And so you're rooting for this guy. But on the other hand, if, if you've not given him everything, and you've not turned everything over to God, then you're feeling pretty sorry for this guy. And you're just as sad as he is. Because it all comes down to this, church. It's not what you collect in life that's important. It's what you commit. And it all starts when we commit to God our hearts. You know, really, that's what Jesus was after with this young man. It's for him to give his heart to Jesus. Because when you give him your heart, lock, stock, and barrel, when you make him number one in your life, and you love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, then the giving of the stuff comes easy. And it all starts with commitment. So that's what we're going to do today. We're going to commit. And I hope that you're here today to commit your heart to Jesus. If you've never done that, you can do it this morning through a simple prayer and invite the Lord into your heart and commit your life to him. And then we're going to commit our stuff to the Lord. We're, we're going to make this commitment for it's our turn. You've been reading about this and thinking about this and hearing about this for a year, and now it's culminating today when we turn in our commitment cards. Uh, there's one in your pew if you didn't bring yours already filled out. You might want to fill it out right now if you haven't filled one out. But here's the thing. We're asking you to commit over three years a certain amount of money that God has told you to give. Now let me stop right here and say this. Back when we started this over a year ago, I, I kind of knew what was going to happen because I, I kind of know people. And I knew that they were going to get some, some people were going to get upset about it. And maybe walk away like this young man did. Just walk away from the church because they're not wanting to commit. And I hate that for people, but it's just the way life is. Others of you are going to fully commit and be all in because you understand it's your turn and this is your church. A lot of people don't like it when the preacher talks about money. Jesus talked more about money than he talked about anything else. Hmm. Kind of like these two ladies, one was older, one was younger. Their church was in a capital campaign to raise money for a new building. And just like me, their preacher was talking about money. And the, the young one got upset about it, and so she told the older one, older one, I'm just sick and tired of that preacher talking about money all the time. I'm ready for this campaign to be over with. I'm, I'm, I'm sick. This church is costing us too much money. That's what she said. The older lady thought about it for a second, and she said, let me tell you a story. Years ago, God blessed my husband and I with a baby boy. And I'm telling you, we love that boy. But he cost us a lot of money. I mean, right from the beginning, I had complications, and the hospital bill was outrageous. Then we brought that little fella home, and man, he could eat, and formula cost us an arm and a leg. The diapers he went through. She said, but as he got older, he got worse. Because every year he would outgrow his clothes. Every six months he would outgrow his clothes. And we'd have to be buying new shoes and new pants and new shirts. And, and then he started driving. And on my lens, there was car, there was insurance. He started dating. We had to pay for all of that. And then he went to college. And that cost us a small fortune. 
But she said right after college, he was in an automobile accident, and he was tragically killed. She said, since the funeral, he hasn't cost us a dime. Now you tell me, which do you think we would rather have? And then she said this, as long as this church lives, it's going to cost us. When it dies from lack of support, it won't cost us a single red cent. A living church has the most vital message in the world today. Therefore, I am going to give and I am going to pray with everything I have to keep my church alive. Lord, I pray that I would have that same attitude. I want to thank you for all the great things that you have done and are doing at Kavanaugh Church. Thank you for blessing us, dear Lord. And thank you for the generations before us who sacrificed so that we could have all that we have today. And I pray, dear Lord, that we would step up to the plate this morning with it's our turn and that we would do our part for your kingdom. I love you so much, Lord. I love this church and I love these people. Would you please bless them as they commit today to you? In Jesus' name, amen. Now we're going to do something fun. Woohoo! Come on, woohoo! Are you ready? It's going to be awesome right here. I'm going to ask Angie to come up here with me. Angie and I, have, we've gone through the, uh, the prayer time. We've done the family discussion on what we were going to give. And we both decided what God has told us to give. And so we've made that commitment. Miss Angie, I'm going to ask you to drop this commitment card into the box. And we're going to ask that you come as a family today and drop your commitment card into the box as well. Now, here's the way we're going to do this. Everybody, everybody is going to come up here. One person in the family can drop the card in. If you don't have your card filled out today, you're still praying about it, you can do that at a later date. But still, we want everybody to come forward. You'll drop your card in there, and then each person gets to push one of these little squares. Angie, let's do this, okay? You, you push one. I'm going to push one. We're going to turn a little square like that. We really want to start with the ones that have a gold dot on it, all right? And then you're just going to do that, and you're going to go back to your pew, okay? With me? Everybody come. Everybody push a square. Even a guest. Doesn't matter. Everybody, you know why? Because it's our turn, and we're all going to do it. All right? right? It's going to be cool. I'm in. But we're going to do it orderly. So we got guys back here in the back, and they're going to they're send us down. These two sections will start in the back. They'll come down this row, drop their car in, push a square. These two sections are going to come down this aisle, do the same thing, and then we're going to go back this way to our pew. After we do this on the floor, we save the best for last. Balcony people will come down after that. Okay? So y'all just hang tight. So are we ready to do it? All right. Let's go. You guys send them back from the, from the back to the front. We're going to start. Y'all come on. Have some fun.
balcony people, y'all can come on down now. Come on, join us. Good job. Give yourself a big hand, would you? Because that's fantastic. Now, we're going to read this together. What it is, is our key verse for the campaign, Numbers 1330. Remember, uh, Caleb came back and told the children of Israel, what? We can certainly do it. Now, everybody read it out loud. One, two, three. We, we can, can certainly do it. And together we can. Amen? Amen. Amen. Thank you, Lord. Together we can. Appreciate your commitment so much. Next week when we come back, it will be our first fruits offering for the commitment we made. So come next week prepared to give a, a big offering to start this campaign off and then keep giving for the next three years. Tonight at 6.30, we're going to have a Bible study on Facebook Live. Tune in. Brother Stacy Cronister is teaching the lesson. Wednesday night at 7 o'clock, we're going to have church for everybody and uh, as you walk out today, you can give your tithe and put it in that black box. I think we got a, a picture up here of the new Barlow baby right there. Oh, Elias came into this world, Elias Paul. And uh, his 
two older brothers were certainly glad to get their hands on him. And man, oh man, this little boy doesn't know what's about to happen to him, does he? He's, he's going to turn out tough and mean, I know. So uh, you be praying for Shawnee and the family. Glad that Elias is here. Amen? Isn't that cool? God bless you. Love you. Love you a lot. And I'm so thankful for you. God keep blessing you and God keep blessing Kavanaugh Church. Amen? Amen. Amen. You're dismissed.